Um, so yeah, Steve asked me to talk a bit about what I do at the Office for National Statistics, and I've already said a little about that, which is about, I think of it as storytelling. Um, I am not a statistician, I'm really rubbish at maths, and um, it's quite a challenge getting to grips with statistics, but I reckon that if I can understand them, then other people can, and I can communicate that. Um, so I didn't start out wanting to be um, a media relations manager. I always wanted to be a journalist. Um, from when I was about five onwards, I was reading the newspapers, I was watching TV news, mainly because I wasn't allowed to watch much other TV, um, and news didn't count. I got half an hour a day of television, but news wasn't part of that half hour. So that could have something to do with it. Um, I went, when I was a teenager, I wrote for um, local newspapers, and then when I went to university, I carried on writing for the newspaper there. And my editor was Boris Johnson. <laughs> he hasn't changed much. <laughs> and um, two things happened at university that completely changed my world. And the first was that I became a Christian in my first week, didn't waste time. And the second was that I signed up to um, be a volunteer buddy for men who were dying of AIDS. And that was something I carried on doing all through university and after university. And after university, I, went to, I came to London and I went to write for the Sunday Times. And you know, I'd never had a plan B, and there I was. And I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I don't know why, it might have been the you know, midlife crisis happening early. And by contrast, the buddying was, it just felt like I was making a difference. It was one person at a time, but it felt real. It felt like I wasn't just going, oh, that, that needs fixing, you know, aren't I clever to point that out, and then walking away, which is what I felt I was doing in, in my journalism. And I'm not saying that is true of every journalist. Gently. Oh, okay. So I was having a bit of a crisis, and um, the Sunday Times, thank you, was based in Wapping. And uh, I went swimming in Chadwell Swimming Pool after work every day. And I met a girl there in the changing rooms and told her, as you do while you're changing, um, about my crisis. And she said, oh, I work nearby, and um, I work for an orchestra, and the, uh, the conductor needs someone to come and help him, you know, with all the media interviews and stuff like that. You should meet him. So I did, and I got the job, and that's how my life changed around. So I've got a soft spot for Shadwell Swimming Pool. Um, <laughs> must go back there one day, see if it's still there. And that was amazing, because I was wondering, maybe I should just become a full-time buddy, you know. But I'd spent all this time in my life preparing to be a journalist, and I just, I'm really grateful that I found a way to carry on using those same gifts, but in a different way, and one that really brings me a huge amount of pleasure and it makes life interesting. I've worked for some amazing places and I'm just really grateful to that girl who took a few minutes to talk to me and to come up with a solution because I never knew that career existed. So now I spend my time uh, telling stories and that's why I like these bits of scripture where Jesus tells stories because I can sort of relate to that of trying to tell a story that... Um, you know, so it puts facts into a kind of context. And that's what my job involves. Um, I work now for the Office for National Statistics. Oh, yeah, that was a logo earlier. Which exists basically because um, Winston Churchill threw a strop during the war. Everyone was coming to him, bombarding him with information and their own agendas. And he just said, oh, wouldn't it be great if there were one place you could go where you just got the information with no agenda and we could all use that information 
and work from that same place. We might come to different conclusions, but at least we've got the same information. And that's how, basically, the Office of National Statistics came to exist. So we're politically totally independent. We're paid for by taxpayers, but we're not a government department in that way. We've got absolutely no agenda. And frankly, a lot of the things we put out make very uncomfortable reading for the government and for people in power. We don't give them a heads up. We used to, but now we don't give the Bank of England a heads up. We don't give the government a heads up. We give nobody a heads up. Everyone gets the information on our website at the same time, including you. And the sort of information we do is analysis of things like um, inflation. So I've had a fun week talking about why they, they use the wrong inflation rate for calculating student loan repayments and rail fare increases. Um, we do uh, things like looking at how our economy is performing generally, GDP, things like that, the labor market, employment figures, um, how much you earn if you have got a degree and compared to those who don't, might not always be the, the obvious uh, choice to go to university. Some of you probably know that now. Um, <laughs> might not always yield the best results if you're thinking in money terms. Um, we look at things like migration, a bit of a hot topic at the moment. Um, crime rates, that's, what I, that's one of my areas. Um, and the health and the well-being of the country. So a really fascinating range, and it makes my, my job very interesting, say, talking to journalists about, you know, what's a fair, a fair point to make. And I suppose we think in the office of these statistics a bit like being the seeds. They don't really have a point unless they come to have a harvest. You know, we want them to land where they can have an impact. So we want people to use them um, and to get to grips with them, to understand the world around us, to see where new needs are arising, um, to see where we're actually making progress, because we are in some areas. Um, you know, to just to understand what's changing, to plan for the future, to decide where to spend money um, in some cases. So that's what the office does. Uh, but there are some things that can get in the way of it. And so I'm going to shamelessly borrow Jesus' story and just pinch it and try and make it about statistics and all the bad things that can happen to statistics because I think it's good that we're aware of this when we see how people use statistics. I'm so relieved Steve used them well because I was really worrying that I was, you were going to come close to an example of what not to do. <laughs> so, that one? Oh, so that's the one, yes. Yes. Um, I don't know a while back if anyone saw this on Facebook and other places. Did anybody, did anybody see this? Yeah. Um, I saw this, and I thought it was really powerful. Um, but then I started to think about it a bit more, and I discovered, did a bit of digging and discovered quite a lot about the statistic. And to me, there's a lot of pressure on organizations and campaigns to... Somehow people seem to think that if it, you can stick a number on it, it, it has more value... And this is an example of that, which I think is a real shame, because you know, I'm sure we all think the, the, yeah, the cause is really important. But actually, what they didn't tell you with this figure, um, 38 increase, I think it was, is that what it says? So, yeah. Is that this is actually a figure from one police force in Lancashire. It's not true of the whole country, but it's one police force in 2014. Um, it also doesn't, re it, I mean, it definitely implies, I think, here that there is a relationship between domestic abuse and people who support football. Um, but the figures that they got would have just been reports made to the police on a particular day when England were playing. 
not before the match, not after, doesn't differentiate. So what's the connection? It also doesn't mention that using that same source, the numbers went up on the days when England won their matches and on the days when England drew in their matches. So yeah, I, I understand why they wanted to make an impact, but it really made me think about you know, what we do with information, you know, whether that's scripture, whether it's statistics, whether it's words, to make an impact, and that maybe we don't always do it with you know, as much integrity as we could. I, mean, I think we need to think about you know, how we use information and also how we consume it, because what makes me angry with this, a bit like Steve was saying with people who misuse scripture, is that now that there is a perception out there, you've probably forgotten the number, but probably in a, it's become in your head something you think of, yeah, football, domestic abuse, the two are related. And I just think, well, how would the England players feel if they saw that? Their families, everyone who loves football. And isn't it a simplistic way to think about who the perpetrators of domestic abuse are just by connecting it to football and implying there's a link? There may be a link, but that's not proving it. Um, so that's one of the things I think, you know, that makes me think about how we, how we look at statistics and how we use information. Another thing that can happen to statistics is that we, we ourselves say, we, I don't know whether there's a link, but that didn't prove it. I'm ignorant. We're all ignorant in places, and that ignorance can get in the way of us understanding what statistics are telling us. So if I say that 14.2 million infants died in 2016 across the world, that sounds really terrible, and it is really terrible. But... The con if I tell you the context, that in 1990, it was 8.8 .8 million infants, suddenly I think you think of that number differently. You know, it's, it's changed our perceptions. We are actually making some progress. And I think sometimes people ignore the good or take out that context because it isn't giving as strong a story as they want to give and they want to make an impact. Someone rang me the other day from a university where they work on um, sort of student welfare and said that they um, had looked at our figures on student suicides and was there any other way of looking at them? Basically, they weren't high enough to make an impact for what they wanted to do. And I said, well, I couldn't actually make the numbers bigger. Um, but yeah, you, they could look at things like anxiety levels or loneliness or things like that that might help them with their work because their work's really important, student welfare. But that wasn't dramatic enough. Um, and I think maybe we need to think a bit about what we're, you know, when we want to make an impact, what we choose to use. So, yeah, so ignorance can also get in the way. So earlier on this year, there was a headline that um, London has over overtaken New York as the crime capital, or as a murder capital. There are more homicides now in London than in New York. Did anybody else see that? Does anyone believe it? And, and that's it. We don't know what to do with that information. We, someone says it, and we kind of go, oh, okay. Now, I don't know if they were talking about New York State, New York City, London, Greater London, how big? What are the populations? Were they talking about the daytime population, which is much bigger than the residential population? If you're going to actually say the number, it makes a difference. You know, if you have a lot of people, you'll have a lot more of everything happening than in a small place. I mean, I remember some local paper did there, you know, 
homicide doubles in the last year. And it was like, from one to two, yes, it did. But, you know, that can be misleading. And I'm not trying to make like of homicide, please don't misunderstand me, but about the way people use figures. So, yeah, so with London and New York, you know, do we know, first of all, are they comparing like with like? Are the populations of a similar size? Also, what have been the trends? What normally happens? You know, has that been something that's gradually coming closer, the homicide rates in, or the homicide numbers in, in London and New York? Um, you know, have they been going slowly in the same direction that one day we knew they were going to cross over? Or was it a one-off freak thing that has now been gone back to its normal levels? And the answer is the latter. Basically, what happened was from January to March this year, we had, as we know, a, you know, a horrifically high level of homicide. There were 50 in, in London. And in New York, it was 46. But what the figures didn't tell you, and they won't tell you now, is that that difference of four was because there was a lot of snow in New York in February and March, and people stayed at home. And you tend to get more homicide when it's better weather and people are out and interacting with each other. And that didn't happen in New York during that period, but I think their birth rate will probably go up, and um, I mean their birth figures for <laughs> later on this year. I know their internet sales went up a lot in that period. There are things that happen in, you know, in snowy weather, and one of the things is people don't go out. So again, but it makes me angry because it's left a legacy of untruth. There are a lot of people out there now who are just re repeating this, that you know, football and, and domestic abuse are connected, that New York is more dangerous than London, and that's not the case. Sorry, I'm getting a bit ranty and I've forgotten where I was going. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think we need to test things. And that's the same, again, you know, with scripture, with everything we're told. I think we need to get, you know, a bit more, we have to kind of put the time in to, to find out the truth of what we're being told. The other thing that people do, this is my kind of last thing, is it's like the choking weeds. And it's like, we love to fill a vacuum. Part of my work is training um, people to speak on, um, in TV and radio interviews and training statisticians to talk about their figures. And um, what they often want to do is to give loads and loads of numbers, and it just drowns out what the main number is that's important. Um, so I tell them to pull back, and they hate it. But in the, what also happens is then the media wants to, yeah, so there's one number, it's quite simple, it tells you the what. It doesn't tell you the why, it doesn't tell you the what next, it just tells you what. But the media doesn't like that and commentators don't like that and they want to fill the gap with something else. So quite often they try and link two things together and see a sort of cause and effect between them. So um, I'm going to show you a really silly example because statisticians have got a very unique sense of humor, I would say. And there's this thing called correlation is not causation, um, which means basically two things aren't connected just because they follow a similar pattern. And statisticians um, have a lot of fun uh, making charts of things. Oh, that was I wasn't going to use. Um, to show that just because two things do the same thing, they're not connected. So some of you can probably read this. They look pretty similar, those two lines. So you think, oh, there's got to be some connection. Look at what's happened over time. But one line is people who died by falling into swimming pools, and the other is the number of films that Nicolas Cage appeared in during that same time period. <laughs> so the two things are not necessarily connected. 
And that is a silly example of the unpaid, sorry about the people falling into the swimming pools, but it still does make me laugh. Um, but the same week, we published some figures showing, you know, and that's a, a stupid example, we published figures showing that while the UK population, we're still living longer, that slowed down for our country compared with other similar countries, particularly over the past 10 years. And immediately, quite a lot of the... Oh, is this still working? Oh, yeah. Quite a lot of the media commentators jumped in there with, well, obviously that's linked to austerity. You know, look at the time period. It's exactly the same. That's what's slowed down our life expectancy. Um, that may be the case, but there might be quite a lot more to it. And the fact that they just declared this as a fact, clearly those two things are related. I think, well, let's have a look at it and see if they really are. So I think we need to be... I did it. Um, I think we need to be perhaps on our toes and be prepared to dig a bit um, around some of the media stories and the use of statistics we read. Just as we question, I hope, when we hear scripture and, like Steve was showing us, quotes from people because they're, you know, famous, important, influential people doesn't mean they're necessarily right. Um, so this is my stats hero, the late Hans Rosling. And if you've got time to go and look at some of his TED Talks or his amazing website, Gapminder, his children run it now, um, he communicates with statistics in a way that will just blow your mind. He's brilliant and, yeah, public health expert, amazing. But there's a couple of resources that are quite useful. One's called Full Fact, and I like this because... It's an independent um, charity, and they publish, so they, they look at the claims that politicians and media make, and they um, show the facts behind it, and they do this quite quickly, so you can actually do it, you can actually get the facts in within a couple of days of the story actually appearing. The BBC and Channel 4 News do similar ones, um, Fact Checker and Reality Check, um, but theirs are a bit slower. But those are, I think, really good resources. So I love the work. Oh, still working? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I love what I do. I love statistics. I love the light they shine on, particularly on inequalities. It's really interesting work looking at what is happening in our society and how it's changing. And I love seeing what's changing for the good as well. You know, the number of children across the world who are now getting a primary school education, particularly girls, I think it's fantastic. doesn't mean we have to stop there. But there is progress being made. There is good news out there. And... Yeah, I, so I love that aspect of statistics. Um, I think the thing that I find challenging sometimes, and I have to really remember, is we focus so much on the big numbers. And what I love about Jesus' story is that um, he's not a statistician. He's not an economist. So when he talks about the fields that yield harvest, in the, in the versions at least by uh, Matthew and Mark, they yield 30, 60, 100-fold, and he doesn't seem to imply there's a difference between those in terms of how he values them. They are all fields yielding a harvest, doing what they should do. A statistician would start at that point, I think. Um, so that's one thing that just cheers me enormously, that you know, we shouldn't always just focus on perhaps the big numbers um, or the kind of the loudest voices. Oops. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that, yeah, there's a lot of harvest that we, we yield as well in the little things, as Steve was talking about earlier, the, yeah, the conversations we had, you know, the, the girl in that Chadwell swimming pool, yeah, she changed my life um, just by giving me 10 minutes of her time and thinking creatively about how she could help, um, you know, and I'm massively grateful. So, 
In statistics, we talk about little numbers, uh, you know, being statistically insignificant. But if you think about the four people, the, those four homicides, the difference between New York and London in those three months, those are four people who didn't go home that day. They're four people who don't get to spend time with their families, who don't get to make an impact on the community, and that's, that's significant. They're not insignificant. And I think it's just important to, to keep that balance and to think that, you know, to remember that what we do, even if it's a small thing, it does have significance.